This is the Manga to Be podcast. Welcome to the show. My name is Shane McAllister, and we're happy to have you join us for another episode, which is another podcast, or third to be exact, of our live recordings from Manga2B.local in London. A Manga2B.local event is an in-person, single-day event filled with keynote talks, educational breakout sessions, customer stories, Ask the Experts consulting sessions, and much more. We will be touring these again in 2023, so keep an eye out on the MongoDB website for more details. At Dot Local London, I had some key MongoDB personnel join me as my guest on the podcast. Like before, I've not one but two guests on this episode, Wojciech and Carlos. We'll start with Wojciech, who was delivering a talk entitled Algorithmic Trading Made Easy, and he leveraged MongoDB time series in this talk. So he talks about building a simple trading app, how they work, and some of the rules behind algorithmic trading. He uses both MongoDB time series and scheduled triggers to execute functions in his example. Let's hear more from my conversation with Wojciech. Um, so my name is uh, Wojciech Witoszyński. I joined MongoDB about a year and a half ago as a senior solutions architect. Um, I joined the London office, uh, serving customers in the UK, but some of those are global companies, so I get to travel quite a bit. Okay. Uh, mainly, serve, mainly working with financial services customers. And prior to joining Mongo, I spent about seven years working in commodities trading and risk management okay. in, in that space. So a very niche industry but also a very exciting one, especially considering what's, what's been happening with the commodities markets in the past decade or so. I can imagine, and that for me explains exactly why the topic title of your talk is Algorithmic Trading Made Easy with MongoDB Time Series. So obviously that's your background, trading, um, and you took kind of your background and brought it together with your new current role in using MongoDB Time Series to, to look at those trades. Tell the audience a little bit about time series who might not understand why that's a uniquely different sort of a data set than normal ones that we might deal with and why we treat that a little bit differently. Yeah, so when you look at the financial services industry, like there's lots of time series data there. It's essentially when we look at prices, prices will change every second or multiple times every second. Mm -hmm. And this is where time series helps us because it's just the optimal way to store that kind of data. Um, you know, making sure we can manipulate it really quickly, perform whatever calculations we want, etc. So, and algorithmic trading, I assume, given my limited knowledge, that's the computers are doing the trading for you yeah. based on parameters. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, it's just it's just another computer program that, and you you tell it what it's supposed to do, how it's supposed to do it. Right. So you. Um, you built, built some business logic which uses a number of different parameters such as uh, time, price, whatever re really. Mm -hmm. And based on these uh, and using the business logic you specified, the application will buy, sell for you. Okay, okay. So is it getting better at doing that? Are humans going to be replaced by algorithmic trading going forward? So most of trading is already done. Most of it? Yeah, the oh, wow. vast okay. majority of it globally. It, when you look at equities, commodities, bonds, FX, specifically FX, the vast majority of the trades are now done electronically using algorithmic trading. But at the same time, someone needs to tell these 
algorithmic trading applications, how these trades should be performed. So this is where humans step in and humans come up with the best algorithms and then implement them. So in your talk earlier on, you were basically doing a demo of how you would go about building such an algorithmic trading system. So can you talk us a little bit about that? Yeah, so as I mentioned in my previous career, I spent quite a lot of time with trading systems, implementing those, selling those and, and in a number of different roles. And these are very, these can be very complex pieces of software. We're talking, it might take a couple of years to implement them. So okay. um, very, very complicated stuff. And today during the talk, I just wanted to show how, thanks to MongoDB Atlas and some of the tools built around it, it's actually very easy to build a basic prototype, obviously not a pr production ready piece of software, but I just wanted to show how we can pull all these different components together that we always talk about, like like time series, like triggers, like materialized views and so on, when it all comes together to, bu to, to build a, an app that actually does something. What are the rules behind the when to buy and the when to sell of what you built there? So usually proper traders will have some very, very advanced formulas. They, there's no chance they would ever share those with anyone. So You would like to think they have advanced <laughs> formulas if it's your money at stake, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're looking doubtful. Maybe <laughs> no, not. I heard stories. <laughs> no, but in this case, uh, the only thing I could do was to use a very simple algorithm, which is a simple moving average. So okay. we've got some prices coming in. There's a price coming, well, new price coming in every minute and we calculate a moving average, couple of moving averages um, based on user input. And then whenever, when one of these moving averages is greater than the other one, we buy. When the opposite happens, we sell, and so on and so forth. Okay. So when you think about it, if you, if you think of a chart where we plot these two moving averages, we've got these two curves. The first time they inter intersect, we buy. When they intersect again, we sell, and so on and so forth. Okay. Okay. So it's, so it's actually quite quite simple yeah. but would you put your own money into it oh no <laughs> <laughs> and what what would be the next step if you if you were saying well now i've got to add x or y to it to make it even better rather than just the moving averages well you know how, how did the traders do this in Nor i know you're saying it's a lot of it's secret but yeah like, so in my in the, in the case of uh, what i've shown during the during the presentation today, we only use two moving averages. The next step would probably be to create, well, calculate a few, few more moving averages and see how increasing the number of data points we're using for our moving average, how that affects our PNL. Mm -hmm. Maybe if we take a moving average, not from last five minutes, but from the last 60 minutes, and the other moving average will okay, be. Okay, so you're broadening or shrinking the windows. Yeah, to, yeah, to, exactly. How that changes our PNL, you know. And then maybe we could build another algorithm on top of that, which actually changes these data points, changes these windows um, live based on yeah. what's, what's happening to our PL, what's happening to the price. So you can build some really advanced stuff. And we're talking just still sticking to just, um, just simple moving averages. I mean, there's way more functionality that's there in the uh, aggregation framework. So yes. we could try that as well and see what happens using some other, other kinds of calculations. Tell us a little bit more. You mentioned triggers and functions. What, how were they involved in, in, in putting this together? We use triggers to refresh our moving averages. So calculations are performed by an aggregation pipeline. 
again, very, very simple when you use time series. It's really simple to just to calculate your moving averages. Um, but then these have to be refreshed each time new data comes in. So to do that, we're using a um, data, an Atlas schedule trigger. So that every minute that executes some, some JavaScript code, which refreshes our materialized views. So we get up-to-date results. So for you, this was a, a proof of concept. But if you layered upon more rules and, and taught it a bit more, ultimately, you're just showing and demonstrating how the MongoDB platform, as a developer data platform, is easy to build upon. Yeah. And everything is on the back end. Yeah, yeah we've, we've got all these different uh, bits of functionality, like, mm -hmm. like triggers, like aggregations, and so on and so forth, that just genuinely, I believe, genuinely make developers' lives easier. And yeah. You just bring those all together and you can build a, a product like this, maybe not in half an hour, because obviously <laughs> I, I wrote some of the code earlier, but... Be a little it, bit it, sketchy, yeah, yeah. Easily over a weekend, yeah. Okay. But, um, and I think the, 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 you know, the key thing for me and to understand is you mentioned time series and how we treat that a little bit differently, or we're set up to handle time series data yeah. better. Now, that can apply to financial data, but also things like... Internet of Things data, where you literally have a new reading every second. You're saying that the financial data, what's the, you know, what's the frequency of that every second? Is it, or is it more? It depends. So the standard SA answer, it depends. Um, <laughs> the standard SA. When you answer. look at things like like equities or FX, we're talking multiple times a second. So okay. Okay. it's very very frequent data. And typically, because you're looking to trade, buy or sell. What happens to historical data in that instance? You're, you're not concerned about that? You don't store that? You don't keep that? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> That's twice. <laughs> it depends on how far back you want to go in history, okay. When, okay. depending so on So if you're your changing algorithm. your rules and you want to see, is this a buy or a sell? Yeah. Maybe what was it this time last quarter or last, this time last, last year? Yeah, or yeah. so like you that. might okay. need it, um, but you might not need it. So it's really down to the specific use case. But uh, what's really good is that you know, Atlas helps with both. You can, you can get rid of uh, old data, you can archive it, but you can also keep it in your database ready to be used for whatever, by your, whatever business logic you, you're using. Any interesting questions after your talk from the audience? Does anybody want to take what you've built there <laughs> and run with it? Mm, I did have a couple of questions. Well, there was one standard question was about performance. Um, so time series databases are extremely competitive when it comes to performance because you can imagine customers want to make sure that they get their prices um, as near real time as possible. Similarly, when they send orders to book trades, that also needs to be as quick as possible. So there was a question of, or two about performance. Um, so yeah, we are competitive, but again, it's, it all really depends on a specific use case. So. A colleague of mine uh, gave, a, gave a talk on time series later on, so I asked that person who has a question to attend that, that session okay. because okay. performance was covered there. You know, this has been super interesting. I suppose for me it's quite concerning that you could build even a rudimentary algorithm trading platform so quickly. I'd probably not give up the day job, but it would be very nice to try. Is there, we have a developer center blog. Is there, have you any content up on, on uh, repos available for this if anybody wanted to have a look? Or is your talk, your talk is recorded, right? Or maybe the world talk is recorded. The world talk is recorded. Um, I also have a GitHub repo with all the code I built. Um, so there's that. And I believe there was a blog post 
back in August on time series, which included bits from my talk as well. Okay, so people could go to mongodb.com forward slash developer to try and find that blog post, yeah. which, yeah. and that post links to your repo, did you say as well? No, do you think? unfortunately, I only created the repo a few <laughs> weeks ago before this session here, but. Okay, and what's your GitHub username? W-O-J-W-I-T-O. Well, we, can, we can throw that in the show notes for people to have a check out yep. because I think some people will be very keen to see what you've managed to build. I think it's a fascinating area. It's not an area that I'm familiar with and I'm certainly astounded to understand that most trades are done algorithmically at the moment. That's a bit concerning. I, I still hit the button. Yeah. But it's um, been a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. Thank you for joining us here in the podcast. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks. A great conversation with Wojciech, and as you could hear, I found it a little off-putting, for me anyway, that most trades today are fully automated. However, great to see a simple, real-world example explained so clearly by Wojciech. And if you want to check out his repo or his presentation for MongoDB World, do check out the show notes. Next up, we've got Carlos, who, similar to Wojciech, used a personal example to explain the power of building applications with MongoDB, in particular using Atlas Serverless and App Services. And Carlos builds a complete backend using all of MongoDB's serverless and app services offerings to build his own triathlete app. Let's join Carlos. Yeah, so I'm Carlos Castro. I'm one of the solutions architects here at MongoDB. So I work at out uh, for a London office, and I've been here for about three years now. So we're at Dot Local London. You have just done your talk. Yeah. What was your talk on, and how did it go? So my talk was uh, about serverless, uh, and there were two components to it. One of them was the uh, database. Mm -hmm. So we just announced um, in MongoDB World our Atlas service offering. So that's our uh, serverless database offering, and then there's a Another service that we call App Services that mm -hmm. is also serverless that a lot of people actually don't know about and they don't take advantage of. So today, my talk was around uh, showing people how they can build a complete backend using all our serverless offerings. So both the database wow. and the App Services as well. In 30 minutes? In 30 minutes. Well, actually, <laughs> uh, my, my demo only took 10 minutes. Your demo only took 10? Yeah, and then you 10 minutes of Q&A and then the 10 minutes of slides. Oh, wow. That's brilliant. And so let's step back a little bit about Atlas Serverless. So in the past, if people are familiar with Atlas, they know you could go in and you could choose, yeah, get started on your M0 free tier, but you could choose tiers above that. Serverless, as you said, was released in MongoDB World back in June. Um, how does that, you know, why would I go there as a company? Why would I go there with my application and with my database? Right, so one of the things that I mentioned in my talk was that when you're building an app, you're not quite sure how successful it's going to be. Mm -hmm. In my example, I'm building a training analytics app. So I'm, I'm measuring the performance of my uh, you know, training. I am an amateur triathlete. So that I can you know, track how I'm doing over time. And I built this app primarily for myself, but I thought that it could potentially be of interest to other people. Okay. Now, will I have ever one user on my app or might I grow to a thousand users, 10,000, 1 million, mm -hmm. or, you know, unicorn. Yeah, total level. unicorn status. Exactly. Yeah. So because you don't know where the app is going to take you, you don't want to really think about 
what hardware I want to run this in, right? Mm -hmm. On MongoDB Atlas, we typically have tiers, right? Now, traditionally, what you can do is start with a low tier and then scale up, scale down as you need. Sure. But serverless just takes that pain away from me. I just go to serverless, I pay for what I use and only what I use. So mm -hmm. if I only have one user, obviously the cost is very low. And I can tell you, my bill came to around $3 per month. Okay. So okay. That, that was it, yeah, one user. Uh, so it's actually quite easy for me now to understand what would be the you know, what would be your monetization yeah, policy exactly. going forward. What, what is my users? minimum subscription that I could <laughs> actually make this profitable? But anyway, the point is, I don't have to worry about any hardware. I can get started very easily, and then it will scale mm -hmm. with my app, right? So that's the main appeal. And right now, we are encouraging any customer of ours to use serverless for their development workloads. Okay, not all workloads will be appropriate for serverless right now. Mm -hmm. Another area where serverless is excellent is in my use case, okay, I do activities twice a day. Let's mm -hmm. say I train in the morning and train in the evening. Mm -hmm. And that means I only have two events that I need to process data for. Okay. So that is an event-driven architecture and it's quite sparse workload. Yes. Yes. Therefore, I don't want to have any infrastructure stood up between the times where you know I'm not doing any training, you wouldn't need it, or you're, yeah, you're not exactly. Training. So that's that's what you have to think of: is is my workload built in such a way that I can actually leverage the fact that no hardware is being used at you know mm. most of the time. So you're not over provisioned. You're not paying for hardware and computing storage that you're not at all. using at all. Yeah, you only pay for what you use. In terms of, as you say periods of infrequent use, maybe periods of kind of a lot of use, say coming up to the holiday season, if, you know, e-commerce booms, and then obviously, you know, January and February, super quiet. So that's where serverless would really help out as well too. Yeah, so uh, uh, any, any period where you would have uh, what we call spike workloads, basically, you know, you know that the workload is going to be a lot higher than what you anticipate. Serverless is good for that because it will scale on demand. Talk about the on-demand. If I have that app, my, let's take your triathlete app. Tomorrow you have 20,000 people sign up to your app. They discover it somewhere in the app store and all of a sudden. Would you, as a developer, get an alert that your bill is not going to be $3 anymore? Now it's going to be X dollars. I is there a safeguard mechanism? I did, and I always do that because I don't want to get any surprises. <laughs> I actually got caught out once on a different platform, not, not the MongoDB. Right. But I had not so pleasant surprise at the end of the month of a very big bill because I left the cluster running that I forgot about. Okay, okay. You but don't what, want that. What we do with Atlas is the first thing I did as soon as I put my credit card details was set up a budget. Please okay. alert me if I go over ten dollars a month. Okay. So it will okay. do that. And also I can I can set up another limit uh, to uh, uh, basically stop the uh, the bill from going any higher than that. So that the first alert only alerts me but I can still consume above that. And then we actually have a cap. Okay, okay. So the safeguards are built in. So really, you know, it's, it's a win-win for a developer and, and anybody in particular who isn't sure of that load use, the frequent use, the time badness use, everything else in between. Right, and not only that, you can set up alerts if you want to. For instance, in my case would be if a new user was signing up, mm -hmm. right? So ahead of time, I would already know 
how is my workload progressing, right? So we have a lot of monitoring as well that allows you to understand, you know, what is your bill expected yeah. to be. And all of these are good complaints, you know, having more users is a good complaint, having more need for your application and your service is a good complaint. But as you said earlier, if you were giving away a free app, for example, then this is not such a good thing because you'd be concerned about the ultimate lifetime cost of these individuals. Whereas by having these alerts and understanding what an individual might cost you, you could easily plan your own pricing model, your tiers, your monetization yeah, strategy. Absolutely. Okay, okay. Yeah, that'll be something really easy for us to do now. App services. Tell us a little bit more about those and go back to what you said that you built your demo in 10 minutes on stage earlier. Yeah, exactly. So when you build an application, primarily you have two concerns is your data and, and then uh, how you process that data. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, obviously MongoDB is a database. That's what we're known for. And that's what we've been selling for the last 15 years. The, the second problem, creating an application, that was something that you know, we always left to our users to decide mm -hmm. where they mm -hmm. want to build that. But since we built the app services, the, the, the goal was, again, to increase developer productivity. Most of the time, when you build an app, you always need the same things. Mm -hmm. And that's what I demonstrated today. It's very simple, actually. You need some way of managing your users, mm -hmm. so some sort of user authentication. And then you need a way to insert data into the database and get that data from the database. So those are the only features that you mm -hmm. actually need to implement. Now, there could be many different APIs that you want to create to read data, many different APIs to write data. In my case, for instance, for my app, I only have one API to write data, which is the uh, Strava details okay. that I get. So okay. all my data gets uploaded to Strava. Strava actually publishes an event to my API mm -hmm. with the details. And then I have about, I would say, 20 to 25 APIs to create my uh, charts that I display, okay. right? Performance charts, yes. because triathlon, you have cycling, running, and swimming. Yeah. So there's already a lot of activities there. And then I track things like, you know, distance, time, heart rate, calories, you name it. All of those metrics I'll, I'll have it. And therefore, I create all these APIs to collect that data from my database so I can display it on a nice UI. Okay, so again, we are trying to fill in this pattern of being a developer data platform, allowing you to do everything that you might want to do regarding your data in the one platform. So we now have your hosting, but all of these services. Can we, you know, we've got functions and triggers, we've got charts and everything else as well too. You've built a mobile app. Does your mobile app show all of this in the mobile app, or is the mobile app just the means to get the data up there? You, you, sorry, you were using Strava to get the data up there, so this is a web application for your analysis. Is it? Yeah, it also works on mobile, but it's, it's mainly a web app. Uh, but um, the way it works is, you know, obviously the source of data is just Strava, mm -hmm. right? And what I built is just a, a tool that does some analytics mm -hmm. on that data and displays that data. Right? Okay. So it's okay. a visualization tool more than anything. I actually started using charts mm -hmm. for this application. So I, I initially built the application using charts. And then I've created my own uh, library to display the data on, on top of that. The, the, the main reason with, with charts is that 
it is it is great for applications that don't change very often. I would say where you probably have one big dashboard, something like a command and control center. I've, I've actually wor- used to work for uh, financial institutions mm-hmm. building this command and control payment centers where they actually check that the payments are going through their systems, they're not getting stuck, they make through the cutoffs. And for all those sort of applications, Shards is great. But for an application like mine, where I have actually many dashboards because I want to see different uh, sports in different dashboards, it is not as responsive as I would like it to be. Okay. Therefore, I just use a different um, library to display that data. So you built this for yourself as a pet project yeah. for your your hobby, your sport, but using serverless and the scale that that gives you and I suppose the low cost that it gives you to roll out, you could envisage this being taken up by others. Yeah, so my day job does keep me very busy, Yeah. <laughs> but what I've built could be leveraged by anyone right now. Okay. The only reason I don't open to the public, and right now it, you can get to my URL and try and sign up and all it says is, uh, thank you for your interest, but we're not open to the public. And the only reason is I'm not charging anyone to use this, but it would yes. cost me money to run it, yeah. right? So I think it, uh, it, it, you know, there's, there's demand out there for this application, then why not? Okay. So I have not given up on it yet, but like uh, any hobby, it might take years before I actually get it off the ground. Actually. But it's already in terms of uh, you know, development and, and scale, there's actually nothing else I need to do. I only need to worry about, you know, how I'm going to pay for this. Excellent. Well, there, there couldn't be a better promotion for serverless and, and application services from MongoDB. I think it's brilliant, Carlos, that you've managed to combine the day job with a hobby and you've got something to demonstrate and to show out of that. So this has been fascinating. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Best of luck at the rest of .local London and hopefully we'll get you on the podcast at some time in the future perhaps even when this project takes off and you've figured out how to monetize it. Absolutely. Thanks, Shane. A great conversation with Carlos. And you really do get a feeling for how easy Atlas Serverless and Atlas App Services are to make and build products, even for, in this case, your own use. Hopefully someday, Carlos will take the next steps and make it available for others. But for now, he's architected it for scale regardless and just needs to get his head around his business model. So, that's the end of another episode. Thanks to Wojciech and Carlos for joining me. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating. And if you have any comments or feedback, please do reach out via email at podcast at Do remember to check out the show notes for any links mentioned in our conversations and go to mongodb.com forward slash events to see what events MongoDB will be involved in in the future. So from me, Shane McAllister, and the rest of the podcast team, do take care and thanks for listening.